highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And Judea is where Jerusalem was. Judea was where the religious leaders were. Judea was the place where those who wanted to kill Jesus resided. And so Jesus was very content being up in Galilee for a season. He wasn't afraid to die. We know that he wasn't. But there was a time that Jesus was going to go to the cross. And he was going toward it like flint, the Bible tells us. That was his purpose. He knew that. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. At this time, Jesus didn't want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. It wasn't a lack of courage that made Jesus stay in Galilee, but an awareness of the Father's perfect timing. And it wasn't time yet for him to be arrested and delivered to the Gentiles. Jesus knew that eventually he would go to the cross, but obedience to the Father's will was his first priority. This should also be our first priority in our lives. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 7 in the Gospel of John. Let's open to John chapter 7. We've been going through this another long chapter. We'll spend two weeks in this chapter. And this is right on the heels of Jesus spending time in um, on the Sea of Galilee. where he proclaimed that he was the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. And in doing so, he proclaimed himself as deity. He he proclaimed himself as being God in the flesh, going all the way back to Exodus 16, that as God provided manna in the desert for the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt, and that was a physical provision that God had given them, but now he was going to give him the true bread, the true manna from heaven, which is not something that's physical and temporal, but it would last forever because it would be he would be the very bread of God, that if we take him in, if we believe in him, if we receive him, that from within us would spring forth everlasting you know, water to everlasting. And of course, he's speaking of the new birth. The idea of being born again, that's not something that the church just made up. That's something that is a fact. And in fact, we all need to be born again. Left to myself, I've made a mess of my life. And I wish it were true that, you know, I've somehow reached this state of perfection, but I haven't. And and no offense, but none of you either. (laughs) Right? We are all in the process of sanctification. But if you're born again, the Spirit of God indwells you, and now you have a 
the very power of God within you to withstand sin, to push away sin, to no longer be a slave to it any longer. And so Jesus, as he is telling them that he is the bread of life, and then it's after this, There's some time, we'll we'll see this in a few moments, there was about six months between this moment and what we're going to be looking here at chapter 7. But let's read now in chapter 7, just the first 24 verses. It says, after these things, after this event where Jesus proclaimed himself the bread of life, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. And then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I will not yet be going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. And then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him, and some said, He is good. And others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one openly spoke of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine. But his who sent me, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. And he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the people answered and said, You have a demon. Who was seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance." but judge with righteous judgment. Father, we thank you for this passage and pray that, Lord, you would uh, just bless it, Lord, as we expound on it and learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go back to the very first verse. It said, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. One thing we have to remember, we know that the Gospels are really a composite of all that Jesus said and did. If you took all of the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you combined them and fit, them, fit the puzzle, the timeline together, you would get one composite of the things that were recorded by, his, uh, by the four evangelists here. You'd get a complete composite of things. 
And sometimes between verses, between chapters, there can be months. There can be many days, many weeks, many months in between. And such is the case for us here. Because between chapter or verse 1 of chapter 7 here and verse 2, there is approximately six months that have gone by. Because it says that after this time that Jesus was in Galilee uh, 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 you know, speaking concerning him being the bread of life, that he walked in Galilee, for he did not walk, want to walk in Judea. Because the Jews sought to kill him. Because if you remember, if you were to look at a map, there's Galilee, there is Samaria, and then there's Judea. And Judea is where Jerusalem was. Judea was where the religious leaders were. Judea was the place where those who wanted to kill Jesus resided. And so Jesus was very content being up in Galilee for a season. He wasn't afraid to die. We know that he wasn't. But there was a time that Jesus was going to go to the cross. And he was going toward it like flint, the Bible tells us. That was his purpose. He knew that. He wasn't afraid to die, but there was a time, there was a time, an hour. And we'll see this phrase throughout the the scripture today where he says, my hour is not yet come. My time is not yet come. The time had not come for Jesus to be manifested on the cross, paying the price for the sin of man. That had to happen, do you understand, on a very specific time at a very specific day that the bible had foretold jesus would be that passover lamb spoken of in exodus 12 and he would die on the very time that they were slaughtering the lambs for the passover and it was a high passover that year and so jesus he was able to throttle if i can use that term Because of the connection with the Father, because of his prayer with the Father, he knew exactly when it was the right time. He knew when to go to Jerusalem, and he knew when to stay away from Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was a hotbed. He visited there, remember when we were in chapter 5, when we talked to the men that he had healed this paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, remember? And he did it on the Sabbath. Oh, no. He did it on a Sabbath. And they were all upset because he did this work on the Sabbath. And after that event, Jesus left to go to Galilee, where we read about the feeding of the 5,000 on the the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then he comes back to Capernaum. And then we read about what we read last week about him being the bread of life. But between verse 1 and verse 2, there is approximately six months The events of chapter 6 were just before the Passover. If you look at chapter 6, verse 4, it says that it was these things happened just before the Passover. And so this was somewhere somewhere, uh, in the in April time frame. And now we come to this time in the Feast of Tabernacles, where which is in October. So there's a period of about six months that have happened. And what happened during those six months? Jesus stayed, as we read in verse 1, he stayed in Galilee. But he wasn't inactive. In fact, the other Gospels tell us at least 14 other things that he did. He he met a Syrophoenician woman, and her faith was demonstrated. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee. He feeds the 4,000 on the west side this time of the Galilee. During that time, that six-month period, the Pharisees demanded a sign from Jesus. A blind man was healed at Bethsaida. Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus foretold of his death. 
We read about the transfiguration when he and Peter, James, and John went up into a mountain and he was transfigured before them. The healing of the demoniac boy. Jesus foretelling his death again. Jesus speaking concerning the temple tax. Also, who is the greatest among the kingdom in God's kingdom? His disciples were talking about that. He also issued a warning against being a stumbling block and also the forgiveness of a sinning brother. All these things in that six-month time frame, and now we get to around October time frame, during this time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And what does it tell us? It says, now the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. You remember, this is one of the three feasts that all Jewish males were required to go up to every year. It says in Deuteronomy 16 that three times in a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, which is where? Yes, not New Jersey. Yeah, amen. No offense to anybody from here. My wife's from New Jersey, so anyway... In the place where God chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Weeks is also known as Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And they did not appear, and and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. So the Lord requires them to appear there in Jerusalem at least three times a year. In Leviticus 23, it tells us a little bit about what the Feast of Tabernacles is. And just to remind you, let me just read a few things to you. In Leviticus, it tells us that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. Notice a seven-day feast. And on the first day, excuse me, There shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work in it. And later on in that chapter, in verse 40, he says, And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God again seven days. And then finally he says in verse 42, he says, You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths made of these palm fronds and these these leafy trees. They would actually build huts for themselves. And they do this in Israel today. They build them on the top of their houses, and they also have satellite dishes bringing in, you know, they got a TV set up in there. It's a true story. That, that happens. So, But they still do that to this day. They live in a booth. And notice that what God says, that... That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel. And here's the purpose of the feast. That I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so they do this in memorial for what God had done. In thanksgiving for what God had, how he had brought them through the desert. For 40 years, they lived in booths. Temporary structures. And so they honor that even still to this day. So notice verse 3. 
So that's the reason for the feast. That's what the feast is. And Jesus is at this seven-day feast. But notice in verse 3, it says, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. Again, I, I need to bring this up to you because there's a lot of misunderstanding in the church about Jesus, that he did have siblings. He had siblings after Jesus was born. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it says, Is not, the carp- is not this Jesus, the carpenter's son, and is not his mother called Mary and his brothers? And he, Jesus had half-brothers. Their names are listed here in the Scripture at a couple different times elsewhere in the Scripture. Their names are James. We know James. He wrote the book of James. After Jesus' resurrection, James came to faith, and he wrote a book. He became the leader in the church in Jerusalem. Notice, in Joses, and Simon, and Judas, which is really Jude, who also wrote a book in the Bible right before Revelation, remember? Another brother that came to faith after Jesus' ascension. And his sisters, plural. So we know he at least had two sisters. And this is a big deal. Because there are portions of the church, and uh, specifically the Roman Catholic Church, they hold to a doctrine called the perpetual virginity, the perpetual virginity of Mary. And this doctrine is nowhere to be found in the Bible. It's a man-made doctrine. Basically, according to this doctrine, Mary was an ever-virgin, meaning for the whole of her life, um, for the whole of her life, making Jesus her only biological son, whose conception and birth are held to be miraculous. Yes, his birth was miraculous, but she wasn't a virgin forever. Because Mary and Joseph had continued to have siblings. He had at least six other siblings after he was born. Doesn't the scripture, doesn't it tell us that? You can view those yourself. And I would encourage you to take confidence in the word of God. Let the word of God be the thing that you hold to, not the traditions of man. Isn't that what Jesus upbraided the Pharisees? He says, you follow the traditions of man and you deny the the word of God. Anyone, even us, if there's something that we're doing that is is contrary to the will of God, to the word of God, we need to reevaluate that is, whatever that is, and get rid of it. We want to honor Jesus. We don't want to build a monument. We don't want to create new doctrines. No, everything is here. And the scripture tells us this. Does it not? We just read it. Right? Notice what his brothers said to him, verse 4. They said, For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Show yourself to the world, Jesus. Remember, his brothers at this time, they didn't know the Lord. They just saw Jesus as a brother. They, they didn't see him anything. It hadn't been revealed to them. It wouldn't come until after his ascension that the, the light bulb would go off and go, you know what, I never did see him sin. I never did see him rebel against mom and dad. And we hated him for it. And yet the prophecies of the Bible, hundreds of prophecies telling Speaking, every page in the Bible speaks to Jesus. In the volume of the book, it is written of me, Jesus said. But Jesus' brothers were not saved at this time, and they had no spiritual discernment. And here they're trying to manipulate Jesus. You know this word, manipulate? (laughs) Manipulate means to control or play upon by artful, unfair, or insidious means to one's own advantage. 
And let me ask you a question. Does love manipulate? Love does not manipulate. His brothers are trying to manipulate him. In 1 Corinthians 13, we know this very well. Love, does, love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. It's not, it doesn't parade itself. It is not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not, about, um, it's, it's not selfish. It's not trying to manipulate anything or anyone. Love doesn't do that. Love does not do that. Are you a manipulator? I think to some extent we all are. We all have been. I know I have. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do it. We, we, we can be manipulators. Do you seek to get your way in your life or in someone else's life by browbeating them? Maybe even extorting them, holding something over them? If you don't do this, well, I'm just not going to love you anymore. If you don't do this, well, you're going to be kicked out of the will. If you don't do this, then I give you this cold shoulder. I have this nonverbal communication, and the tension in the house is, is thick like a knife because I don't submit. You know, I'm not going to um, you know, be manipulated by you. It has nothing to do with obedience, okay? I mean, we, we need to be obedient. Children need to be obedient to their parents, and we need to be obedient to the Lord. But this goes beyond that. We're trying to make things happen and manipulate people, manipulate our children, manipulate our spouse even we manipulate them by giving them a cold shoulder maybe even withdrawing conjugal rights because you're just not doing what i want you to do i'm unhappy with you so therefore i'm not going to sleep with you anymore i'm going to withhold that from you because i'm angry with you does that happen does it happen in your life it happens in the church God is not pleased with it. Do you have secrets about them if they don't comply with your wishes? Manipulating them? Young people, are you manipulating your parents? Even before they even know to do right and wrong, kids manipulate their parents. And how do they do it? They have temper tantrums. You get in Wegmans, you got a four-year-old or a three-year-old, and they, you know, you're there, and there's a there's lollipops there at the Wegmans, and you say, "Not today, not today." You've already had your quota of sugar for the day. I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. And then they fall on the ground. They start writhing around like they're demon possessed. Foam is coming out their mouth. Everyone's looking. A uh, problem in aisle five. Bring the priest with the exorcism and the holy water, the little tassel with the water in it. The kids manipulating their parents. Why not? Why not? Asking the same question. Asking the same question. Asking the same question. Like water on sandstone. Just continuing like a drop. Oh, oh. And then finally you just cave in because you got to deal with it. Anybody been there? Manipulation. His brothers were manipulating him. If you really are the son of God, then go up to Jerusalem now, Jesus. You're the hot shot. Show yourself openly to the world and do it now. Why, why are you hiding? Why are you secret? Is there a problem here? And Jesus would say, no, my time is not yet. And they didn't understand that. God the Father and God the Son had a great communion together. He knew when he would go to the cross, and it wasn't then. And the more Jesus stayed in Jerusalem, the hotter it got. So he would go. And he would minister, and then he would withdraw and go up to Galilee and minister to other places. If he was to stay there, they would have crucified him or tried to much earlier. But Jesus, who was in control, the Roman government, the Jews, 
Or was God in control? We know that God was in control. He was very much in control. He was no martyr. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.